Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts. Simply hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts now. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Something is To say the victim impact statements are harrowing is an understatement. Those are the words of Judge Crosby at Barry Clue sentencing back in July 2020. Now think about that word harrowing, it's such a heavy word, especially when weighted with the knowledge it's being uttered by a person whose job is to preside over all manner of depraved and despicable acts. But just how did Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from a small town in New Zealand, end up stealing almost $16 million? I'm Sarah Ferris and you're listening to Clueless, the long con. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Judge Crosby's sentencing notes, he also said, and I quote, Mr. Clue, given that you are now 57, knowing that you began work in 1983 as a financial advisor, you've been offending for about 70% of your career. Now, I don't pretend to know all the legal eagle reasons, but Barry was in court for charges that day that pertained only to offending in the previous seven years, because no one really did know when Barry's offending started. The foundation for his Ponzi scheme was laid so long ago that the sitcom MASH was still releasing weekly episodes. It's very hard to tell when he crossed the line and transitioned from financial advisor to robber of retirements. But one thing we do know is that Barry started digging those foundational footings for his house of cards right back at the beginning of his career in the 80s. And how do I know this? Well, that's when my parents-in-law, David and Nolene, crossed paths with him. We were just a young family with young children and a great big mortgage when we first went to see Barry. We have three children, six grandchildren. We spend a considerable amount of our time working and living in Dunedin. I lived in Dunedin most of my life. 
and worked at Dunedin Hospital. I first met Barry Clue in the 1970s and at the time we had a young family and uh, debt reduction was quite a topical subject due to people having high mortgages of which uh, we were being charged very high interest. Now, Barry didn't qualify as an authorised financial advisor, otherwise known as an AFA, until 2011, a distinction that meant he could advise on investments and money management, you know, kind of like a safety net designed to assure its users that the person was right and proper to provide such advice. That assurance would prove about as useful as a waterproof tea bag, but all that is decades in the future. At the time that David and Nolene were staring down the barrel of these sky-high interest rates on their mortgage, Barry was a fledgling financial planner. I became aware that he was running seminars on debt reduction and we went along to one of his seminars. I did actually with my father and uh, from memory I got him to do a little plan for us on debt reduction and it worked very well over the years and he was very knowledgeable and uh, we were quite impressed with him. And that was our first exposure to Barry Clue. And out of that grew quite a a good business relationship, bordering on being good friends. And we would see each other up the street or have a coffee or whatever. And through the years, he was the sort of guy that you would almost consider putting him on the wedding list if your daughter got married. One of those sort of guys. Well, I'm grateful that Barry didn't make the cut on our wedding list, saving me a lot of cutting his face out of wedding photos, I'd imagine. Now, back in the 80s, Barry's business offerings were made up of three sort of distinct arms, selling debt reduction plans and then the brokering of insurance and superannuation policies. So David and Nolene's debt reduction plan had cost them maybe a few hundred dollars back in the day. But over those following years, it had really worked for them. So it followed that Barry Clue then became their go-to money man. I signed up to a superannuation plan with him for Fidelity Life. Probably in the 80s when I was working at Dunedin Hospital and I cashed it in in about 2008, I think. And there was absolutely no problems. Monthly payment came out of my hospital account and directly into Fidelity Life. So there was the debt reduction plus planning for retirement. Even in those early years, uh, we were pretty focused on that in those days. few things there to note. Firstly, David and Nolene had had that policy for almost two decades. Now, I mention this because one of the misconceptions with frauds is that the victims blindly trust the criminal. But I think there'll be very few of us out there that would have cause to distrust someone after having a blot-free relationship with them for almost 20 years. I mean, there's biding your time and there's biding your time, right? And secondly, I wanted to just draw your attention to this line. Monthly payment came out of my hospital account and directly into Fidelity Life. I think it's important to note because in this instance, Barry had no contact with the money that was paying that particular policy. Point A was Nolene's bank, which went direct to point B, Fidelity Life. But Barry wasn't going to stay on the sidelines forever. He just needed to know how he could turn point B into point Barry. Spoiler alert, by the time Nolene has cashed in that policy in 2008, by his own admission, he's worked out just how to do that. But let's put a pin in that for the moment and look at Barry's business. It went through a few name changes over the years. Financial Planning Limited, Breathe Financial, Impact Enterprises, different names, but they all essentially offered the same three core products and services. Advising on investments, debt reduction and obtaining insurance policies. 
and he had a pretty formulaic sales and marketing strategy. It was a leaflet dropped in our letterbox. He was offering financial advice. And they had an evening put on for prospective investors. We went to one of his seminars. And it was put on by what they termed a trusted professional, Barry Clue. And it was at a hotel in Dunedin and I turned up. There would have been, I don't know, 50 odd people in there. I think he gained our confidence right at the start, gave the big spiel. Very outgoing. We understood he was appropriately qualified. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. And there was a complimentary hour attached to that seminar. And you could arrange a further catch-up with him if you wanted, and I did. And so that's the first time I met him. And I thought, that's great, I'll make use of that. And, of course, I fell in. Interesting words, fell in. Perhaps rather aptly, it invokes images of a Venus flytrap plant luring its unsuspecting, or in this case, clueless victims in. That last voice you heard is Bronwyn, and she's one of 12 of Barry's victims that agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. She'd found herself falling in because she was actually looking for an expert. I'm a a single older woman, and I used to teach science and eventually ended up in pastoral care. Well, you see, nothing in that background has been to do with money, right? At one stage in the early 2000s, I invested in a property in Auckland that was being built, but I lost on that. And so I thought, right, I won't go down the property line again, but I do need to invest money. Not that I've got much, but I'm getting older, so I need to be careful with what I do have. Like Bronwyn, everybody had their own reasons for taking Barry up on the one-on-one consultation that was pretty much stage two of Barry's sales strategy. At the time, my husband was a seasonal worker, so we went along with the plan of how to manage your money when you've got a seasonal worker in the family. He took it upon himself to advise us that he could get a much better deal for Gary's insurance. He would do all the dealings to get that money out, and so we started investing with him. Basically, it was to save for our retirement, go away on a holiday occasionally, nothing extravagant, maybe a couple of weeks in Australia, uh, and update our car every so often. Over the years, those seminars upgraded from the no-frills tea and, if you were lucky, maybe a stale digestive biscuit kind of deal. Here's staff reporter Hamish McNally. I talked to people that he would invite out for dinner and then he would host them, pay for the dinner. Kind of the cheaper set menus at a restaurant, which was okay, and then would do the sort of hard sell on them. And most people are naturally sort of suspicious of that sort of stuff, but he worked some people for years and years and years. And remember, Dunedin is a small town, so often Barry's new victims came through word of mouth. We had friends that had said he was a really good bloke and we'd been invited to a wine tasting evening and they had lots of fun and Barry Clue had paid for all that. According to the University of They, you have all of seven seconds to make a good impression on a new acquaintance and Barry's first impressions, well, they were a bit of a mixed bag. Here's Bronwyn's take. He was a bit too smooth. What I really disliked was his Italian shoes. I think they were Italian. I don't know, but they gave me the creeps. But then I thought, okay, he's a money man. I can cope with that. If he does the money thing for me, it's not a big deal. So that was my impression of him. But it wasn't just that he was a money man. There was also the fact that Barry was seen as a bit of a pillar in the community. He had his fingers in many pies, as well as many bank accounts, as we later find out. 
But on top of that, his daughters had attended the same school that Bronwyn worked at. When you've got that link with someone, consequently your concerns of whether this guy is okay or not, they just all went. There was no okay or not okay. His daughters went to the school. He's an old parent. So that took away any concerns. Though I don't think I really had any concerns about his honesty until a bit later. That's the thing with fraudsters. They take the time to groom. They build those layers of trust and charm. And Barry, well, he could lay that charm on factor 50 thick. He was everybody's friend. Do anything for you. Absolutely charming. I was always asking about the family, and I was surprised how much he could remember about what we'd said about different family members. He always asked how everybody was. Yeah. Yeah, he just took you under his wing and just made you feel like you were a good friend and confidant. You could ring him and talk to him about anything. He was a bit flamboyant sort of thing. Yeah, and he sort of showed that when he was on stage because we went to a couple of productions that he was in. And not content to play the character of Barry Clue, financial advisor, Barry also treated the boards in his spare time. Here's Mike Houlihan from the Otago Daily Times. He's been involved in the community for years. He was an active member of Amateur Dramatics and the Operatic Societies, and he used his contacts that he, that he made through that to create a lot of his business. A lot of people who were in those societies were his clients. Now, as an aside, I remember reading in the court documents that Barry's lawyer had bravely held up his thespian credentials as proof of Barry's service to the community and asked for it to be taken into account when it came time for sentencing. Now, Having sat through some coma-inducing amdrams in my time, I'd say that was possibly quite a brave move on behalf of the lawyer. The judge might have been more inclined to add the time stolen from the audience to the sentence. But by all reports, Barry wasn't actually too bad of an entertainer. He would put on different meal and a show, and all we had to pay was a donation to usually the hospice, and he put everything on, the food and the drink. So we got invited to a few of those. That was the voice of Gary. Now, Gary and his wife Mary had met Barry back in 1989, so decades ago. And over that time, their relationship had gone further than just client and advisor. He had a property in Clyde, and about four years ago, we purchased a caravan. And he said, look, he said, I've got heaps of room in Clyde. He said, you're quite welcome to leave it there. And we did do for two years. And so he just came over as a really nice guy, very friendly, very outgoing. I also stressed to him that my parents had been caught out in a scam and they lost all of their savings. So I said, I don't want to go through what they went through. And he assured us that what we were investing was actually investing in companies. So at the end of that, I felt quite confident in what we were doing. It's astounding to think that even having articulated the pain that Gary's parents went through at the hands of a fraudster, Barry can so callously plough on through stealing the next generation's hopes and dreams. And then layer on that, that seemingly generous offer of using his own property in Clyde for their caravan. If only Gary and Mary could have known that, in reality, it was actually their hard-earned cash and not Barry's that had bought that property in the first place. If you're enjoying Clueless The Long Con, then check out other podcasts by Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's 
nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Green. There's your first challenge of the week. (laughs) Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greeny on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greeny challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast... Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Okay, so my name is Richard Roberts. I am currently the chief executive of Dunedin Airport, and I've been in Dunedin for 25 years, and I have found my piece of paradise. Turns out Richard and I have pretty much traded homelands over the years. Although, if you're any good at spotting one of the gazillion regional accents from the UK, you can probably tell that he hails from way further north of London, which is where I live. Or, as I say, in perhaps one of my career-limiting accents, up north. And you know, given the last few COVID-filled years, I think he probably played a blinder and got the better end of the deal. Aside from the fact that Richard's path crossed with Barry's back in the late 1990s. He was very compelling, just like one of your mates, really. He said all the right things. Yeah, no suspicions whatsoever. And he gave no reason for having it. Yeah, socially with him, he keeps saying things like, oh, me and you, we need to have a game of golf. Oh, I'll tell you this story. What about this one? So we were at this charity gig in the town hall and up 
on the auction, Ian Taylor from Animation Research, he does all that simulation for the America's Cup and golf. And he got an auction prize up there and it was for two people. And you could go to the US Open, the British Open or the Ryder Cup, working with them with the backpack on and the sensor. Anyway, Baz was on another table across from me and they start the bidding, bum, 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 bum. Next thing, Barry Clue. 12 grand, 12 grand, you were going to be on the course, US Open, British Open, or the Ryder Cup. And he came across to the table and he said, I want you to come with me. He wasn't buying it for me. I got to pay. That was fine because I just thought, wow, that amazing. And I, and anyway, I said, not a problem, Baz. I gave him my six grand and he paid the other six and we got these two tickets and we chose the Ryder Cup in Glen Eagles. You know, it would have been 2014. Anyway, about two months later, phone rings. It's Baz. He said, mate, got a bit of a problem. He said, uh, I just left the wife this morning. And listen, she's took a lot of cash. I've not got much left. He said, I can't go to this Ryder Cup. And so I was going to literally be with him for two weeks. Me and him were going to Scotland and England together. And that didn't happen in hindsight, thankfully. But anyway, the story, there's nothing sinister in that. So yeah, that happened. I forgot about that. As Richard says... Nothing sinister in that story, but it does strike me that going on holiday with someone for two weeks, one-on-one, it's quite an intense thing to do. Yeah, we just kind of got on, you know. It was good fun. It, it was good fun. And that was part of the, the cover. It was so plausible, eh? You know, I feel really stupid now, as everybody does. But that's what it was like. Just imagine if Richard had gone on that two-week holiday with Barry Clue. It left me wondering if Barry would have been able to keep up the facade for that whole two weeks. So I asked Richard what he thought. Yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. Absolutely he would. Oh, definitely he would. No doubt about it. To understand why Richard was so emphatic with his response, you've got to keep in mind that Barry was all about playing the long game. And Richard had seen it firsthand. So there was no investment in the early days. At the start, what he was doing was helping me manage my money. And so he helped me to set up a system by which I was going to pay my mortgage off pretty quick. So in the first probably five years, I was plowing everything into a mortgage. And he was always there in the wings and he kept in touch. But he was also looking after insurances and he gets a commission from that. I think now with hindsight, Richard and in fact many of the victims have had those scales drop from their eyes and have a whole new perspective on many of Barry's actions. He'd invite us to these theatre shows that he was in and a lot of his other clients, he'd book a full table. You know, you look back now and think, you wanker, that was my money that I'll pay for me ticket, you twat. And uh, there was a concert he took us to at the stadium, Elton John, something like that. And... There was about 12 people there, all investors and stuff, and he was a perfect host. And we went to his corporate box a couple of times, our corporate box, I should say, and drank our own beer. (laughs) And we were given gift baskets every Christmas that we obviously paid for. And we always waited for them. Like, we're, oh, what's going to come in Barry's gift basket this year? And, And, you know, we've got close friends who know him very well, and they all speak very highly of him. Well, they did to keep all this information to himself, but how he can manage all that. Apparently he had 2,000 clients at one stage. It just, just beyond me. I'd catch up with him. I think I paid for lunch sometimes, and we'd always chat about cars or family, and it was just that one-on-one buddy sort of good mates, you know. Plus we had the business relationship. I don't know how he could sit there over lunch knowing he was at the time just blatantly stealing our money. It's incredible, eh? And, and that's... 
the thing that, that plays on my mind that I'd known this guy for 25 years and, you know, some of the things he used to say to us and it was, I don't know, they're so plausible. But the scary thing is the hindsight, that kind of weighs on your mind a little bit. You know, you had the doubts, but you never acted upon them and you wish you would have. Little things like crocodile skin shoes. Dead giveaway. Fuck, I think about that so much and think, you dickhead, you absolute dickhead. That's, that's not right on any manner. Reminds me of the old saying my mum used to tell me, red skies at night, shepherd's delight, crocodile shoes in the morning, shepherd's warning. But I digress. Let's circle back to Barry. I think the only thing you could say that was saint-like about Barry Clue was his patience. Because so many of his victims started out as debt reduction or financial planning clients. Savings for retirement, well, that was way down their priority list. And that was the case with Francis, whose husband was a seasonal worker. So we would have been mid-40s at that stage, 20-odd years ago. We didn't have a huge amount of savings. Our children had just grown and, you know, leaving home. Others like Karen's husband, Chris, had a career transition, which had caused them to reevaluate their insurance policies. We didn't actually have any money with Barry. We hadn't given him any money of our own. We were just literally insurance clients. We were just paying our policies. We grew up, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, basically. But these days, when we were doing this, you had to make your money work for you. And that's what we thought we were doing. We wouldn't have known enough to have split our money up like that on our own. We were just sort of normal income earners with just a few savings in the bank. We saw him as a professional who knew what he was doing and could offer us that advice. I think if we could jump in the TARDIS and go back to those first few meetings with Barry, we might be forgiven for thinking that those seminars seemed like slim pickings for a fraudster. Most of the victims that I spoke to didn't rock up to Barry with a great big pot of gold to invest, which leaves me wondering just how premeditated were Barry's crimes. What if Barry knew there was a way to transition these clients to victims? He'd just need to add a pinch of time and a dash of direction. He set us up with an insurance. You know, you'd take out insurance and that would be your expected large sum of money by the time you were 15. It was with fidelity. And it grew to about 60000 I think. Enough time has passed that Frances and her husband now have a decent retirement pot to fall back on. And enough time has passed that they have the option to cash out that policy something that didn't go unnoticed by Barry. We had a mortgage on the house, which was 44000 So he suggested drawing that down. So Frances and her husband give Barry the go-ahead to draw down that policy and pay off their mortgage, which he does. Well, eventually. Our mortgage didn't get paid off, and it took three months before he passed that money over to pay the mortgage and I've got records of the emails and he's saying oh I forgot or I this or oh I thought I'd done that that should have been a red flag to me straight away but it wasn't. Now if you're a numbers person you might have noted that the matured policy lump sum was $60,000 and the mortgage was forty four, leaving a delta. There was 16000 left over so that was the start of our investments with him. For Barry, it's been a few years in the making, but finally he has Frances and her husband at the point where they can transition into investment clients. And I say that in air quotes. 
You've got to wonder, was that his intention right back when he suggested that they take the insurance policy out all those years ago? Now, who knows? But if it was, one can only marvel at the mind-boggling depths that he put into crafting his deception. So Barry's now got $16,000 of Frances and her husband's money, but that wasn't the only money that Barry had his eyes on. By the end of the 90s, my husband had left that seasonal position. So he then had 30 years worth of superannuation. And next thing we've signed over that superannuation to him. And he played the game really well because he'd say, oh, I'm thinking I might, you know, put some money here and some money there. And then he comes back, oh, no, that wasn't doing so well. So I didn't put your money there. So he's playing the game the whole time. He's building you up to be taken in. And all that is backed up with Barry's forged investment statements. So as far as Frances and her husband know, they're in a pretty good position. We thought we were doing really well. I remember telling a couple of friends, we've invested through a financial advisor and feeling really confident and we've got our future planned because all we looked forward to was retirement, you know, because you do without through your life. And that was our big dream, you know, 65, that's it. That's all I've worked for. And now that happy moment will come. So over the years, Frances and her husband made lump sum investments with Barry. Of note, the first amount had been generated by the insurance policy that Barry had sold them all those years before. The second was 30 years worth of hard-earned and hard-saved superannuation. So those lump sums deposited straight into Barry Clue's bank account represented a lifetime of saving for their retirement dreams. Nothing hit the places where it was supposed to go. So yes, he saw us as very vulnerable. So these insurance policies that could be cashed out down the line were often the first step to investing with Barry for many of his clients. The insurance was the first lot. So it was about 60000 So he took that and started the investment portfolio. He was getting cash from me for insurances initially. And then after the mortgage was paid off, then that's when the investments kicked in. And what he was doing was trying to get you to a point where once you've paid off your mortgage, now then where's the cash going to go? Then it's going to go into investments. Then those investments will be with Baz and he will run a portfolio for you. But it wasn't just insurances that Barry had his eyes on. That was often just what popped the seal. We were actually in the middle at that stage of doing a bit of buying and selling. So we were building houses. We had a wee bit of money from that. He knew when we were ready to sell a house. So he knew there was money coming up. Oh, I've got a good deal for you. Let's do this. So on top of insurances and general savings, Barry also had his eye on another prize pot inheritance. Imagine, if you will, working all of your life to leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren, only for Barry Clue to hoover it up in what his victims rightly describe as intergenerational theft. And for what? To keep him in crocodile skin shoes? Then Gary's parents passed away, so we had a bit of inheritance come through there that went to him. We didn't need to use them, but then I got my dad's inheritance and then I cashed in my superannuation and I retired and that was when we heavily used them for investment purposes. Now, I guess if you're prepared to wait long enough, then you can expect that a person like David, who comes to Barry with a young family and a large mortgage, will eventually, with the help of a solid debt reduction plan, pay that mortgage off. And so it follows around perhaps that same midlife marker 
they might also have an eye on the future and start a superannuation plan. And if you are prepared to wait even longer still, that circle of life will eventually close its loop. And like David, the next generation will inherit the legacy from the generation above. But the thing that I find absolutely mind-boggling is that Barry could operate for all that time without getting caught. But he never did. And that's why people trusted him. Because why wouldn't you after all that time? It was a bit of a decision as to who to go to. But given the long relationship we'd had with Barry and the fact that we'd never have any reason to doubt anything that he'd ever done, we deposited a couple of hundred thousand dollars with him initially. You know, he'd been a lifelong friend. and How could he be so devious and despicable and such a low-life con man as to manufacture statements and steal money. They should have been safe. They should have been able to trust this man. He said in court that he'd been operating it for decades. I mean, it's a pretty sensational case. You know, it's a town with 130,000 people and it's $15 million gold west. That's a huge chunk of change. Totally agree with Mike Houlihan there from the Otago Daily Times. It is a huge chunk of change. And only Barry knows whether he was intentionally setting up those insurance policies just so one day he could convince the victims to then cash them in. But it leaves you wondering, just how far would Barry go? Where would he draw the line? Turns out, nothing was off limits to Barry Clue. Bradley's our youngest child and he has fragile X syndrome and intellectual disability. At that time, we'd all saved a lot of money for Bradley. So we talked to Barry Clue about investment. Barry advised Chris that he needed to be taking out insurance that would cover approximately five years, roughly, of Chris's salary if anything happened to him. I kind of remember it being really awkward and I actually remember being really upset at the time about how vulnerable you are when you think about losing somebody you love. The worst thing that hurts me the most is taking money from a boy with a disability that has no chance. That's lower than low in my book. In August 2017, Chris was diagnosed with a soft cancer. He used his position to manipulate and to cause harm to our family. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Coming up in the next episode of Clueless, The Long Con. My name is Dr. Shahab Das. I'm a consultant forensic psychiatrist. Most con artists will have some degree of distance from their victim but knowing a family for decades and to have a child with fragile x that you're spending time with knowing that you're basically screwing over their future i mean that's just like a next level lack of uh, lack of compassion and empathy don't forget to subscribe to clueless the long con so you'll never miss an episode this is an independently made podcast you can find out more on instagram at community podcast that's con with an n please support the podcast with a five-star review a share on social media, or even go old school and tell a mate on a dog walk to have a search for Clueless the Long Con wherever they listen to their podcasts. That's Clueless spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down.
Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but, you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.